Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Milton Collins. Milton is a man of many talents. He's the former CEO of Federation Square, where he spent his days running the Transport Hotel Group. He's headed up an importing and distribution business, and he's even spent time as the owner of a horse and cattle stud. He's renowned for his business now and is a sought-after and award-winning business coach. Most recently, he's turned his hand to writing, and his new book, Delight, Disrupt, Deliver, is chock-full of great advice for small business owners. Hi, Milton. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you with us today. Hello, Seth. It's great to be here. Now, I would like to go back to the beginning because yours is a bit of an unusual journey from from cattle station to business coach. How did that happen? Yeah, I've had a chicken pass, really. Luckily, I grew up on a cattle property in northern Victoria and then off to boarding school at Geelong. And at that stage, I was really keen to go into hotel management because I was really keen on hospitality and tourism. But at that era, both the school and my parents said, that's not a real job. So get off to university, get a degree. So I got an early offer to ANU, which I went to, and an economics degree, which I loved, had a great life and got a good degree out of it. And then I didn't know what to do next, but uh, the big accounting firms came to campus and did interviews. And because I'd actually established an equestrian centre in Canberra, whilst I was studying as part-time income, which grew. Oh, as you do. Yeah, well, it's, I, was, I was a very keen horse rider, so I'll put those, those skills to use. And the five accounting firms all offered me a job after my degree was finished, mainly because of the things I'd done outside my degree at the same time. So I learned early on that it's about showing what you can do and about achieving and building networks. That's the most important thing. When did you realise that was something of a passion for you? The horses or building? No, the building, building the networks and uh, that connecting people with other people and, and that that is an undercurrent that really makes for successful business. I, I thought about that, which is why I was keen on hotel management tourism, because I love people. The other choice is something like psychology, because I want to learn more about it. But, you know, I took my parents and school advice and did the, the commerce degree, which has kept me in great stead forever. And I built wonderful networks around that. And now I, I, I've learned so much that it's not what you know, it is so much who you know, rightly or wrongly, but those contacts are very important. So how did you transition from, you know, you're at the big accounting firms to actually taking the leap and starting business for yourself? Obviously, there was a, a big journey in between um, that point and where you are now. Can you give me a, like a little snippet of what that was? Sure. When I was at Pricewaterhouse, I was also competing at quite a high level in, in three-day eventing. And it was very hard in Collins Street to train a horse. And I kept my horse out of Melbourne. It was an hour's drive each day and I trained every day. So I then decided, how can I build both? Because the horse ride was a passion, which I knew I could not do well at, but certainly progress. And I wanted also a professional career. So I looked to find a, pro a progressive accounting firm in the country. And I looked all over Victoria and found a great firm in Gippsland. And they offered me a partnership at the age of 26. And so I moved down to Sale to set up an office there for them. We had offices right throughout Gippsland, six offices. And we built that in from two partners up to 
eight partners and over 200 staff. And whilst I was doing that, I was also competing all over Australia in three-day eventing. That sounds pretty hectic. Uh, I, love, I love packing a full day in. It's, uh, to me, I'm excessive compulsive and uh, I'm very comfortable with that now. But probably at the time it was difficult. But I, I'm a real achiever and I love competition, hence the horse riding and building business. And now you've uh, you've turned your attention to writing. You've just recently written a, a new book, Delight, Disrupt, Deliver. Can you um, talk me through that a little bit? I I read like kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but um, your take is that business recovery is not really about how big your budget is or how many people are in your team or 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 even anything like that. It's more about understanding the fundamentals of how to do things right by your customer and how to retain your customer. Yeah, that's right, Seth. I, I believe that building a business, a whole lot of small things put together properly. So the, head, the title of a book, Delight, Disrupt, Deliver, you know, the, it's about growing your business using the power of small surprises. It's the small surprises that delight people and create raving fans. For example, if you just provide a service or a product that's what they expect, no matter how well you do it, you don't stand out. Whereas if you can add the bit extra, things that surprise them, things they don't expect, like the little extras that they talk about and are delighted with, that's what can build raving fans and customers for life. It's a bit like the unboxing strategy when um, that you see so many uh businesses put extra effort into packing their products and putting a bit of a surprise in there for when people open it up and then everyone's, you know, videoing their unboxing of their products on Instagram and it gives great word of mouth for the business. Yeah, no, exactly right. And it's, it's not the product that's exciting. It's a little extra they didn't expect. And that's, and that's what they talk about, which is – and that's what I'm a great believer in. I used to use examples for example. When I had the Country House Hotel, we'd make sure we memorised all guest names. So what would happen, the receptionist would write a description of the guest uh, when they arrived. That was circulated to all the team members, no matter who they were, from the chefs, the cleaners, the gardeners. And whenever they saw any guest, they would use their first name and greet them. And that just really surprised people. It was simple, but that level of service was then, because the team were keen to do it, they did the little extras too. And it also just surprised our guests for people to walk up to them they'd never seen before knowing who they were. <laughs> Those must have been some very accurate descriptions you had your staff writing. <laughs> uh, at times they were sort of short, fat, bald, and a lot of those. <laughs> but, <laughs> so we had to be polite in case somebody saw them, of course. But they had to be accurate too, so at a glance you know what we're talking about. <laughs> It is um, surprising just how much little details like that can make or break a stay somewhere. Yeah. I, I know when I travel, it's about the relationships I build, usually with the owners and the managers of any restaurants and hotels. Because I'm my keen interest in that, I can build a rapport very quickly. And especially if I'm staying there for a day or two, I get to know them really well. And they end up treating me like a a family friend or a house guest rather than just a tourist. And I think that's what I love about travel, getting to know people. Now you've talked a little bit about the 
the light element of your delight disrupt deliver. What is the disrupt? What are you referring to there? Try and do things differently. Look at what your competitors do and what you don't like about it and how you can improve that. But better still, ask the customers what they want. Provide a solution to their needs. Don't try and sell your product or service. It's all all about providing a solution. And does that help also build loyalty for your brand if your customers feel like you're, you're really honed in on what their need is? Yeah, absolutely. By trying to find what their pain points are or what their problems are, you start to build a relationship by asking lots of questions. So you get to know them, to know what's important to them, what they need, either in their business or personally, whatever you're trying to sell. So you provide that solution they need not just what you're trying to sell. And that's really the deliver element as well, isn't it? You've delighted them with something surprising. You've you've um, answered their pain points and, and then you've delivered on the promise of that, yeah? Yeah, and also little things like if you give them a, a time when you expect to, to receive the product, always deliver before because there's nothing worse when you're given a time to start a job or something's going to arrive and a week later it's still not there. So I used to train my team and say, okay, we can do this within two days, three days a week, but let's tell the customer it will take 10 days and then surprise them by getting in early. Oh, that's cheeky. It is <laughs> cheeky, but hey, it works. <laughs> so what would your advice be to small business owners who a lot of them are doing it pretty tough at the moment, coming out of lockdown and the struggles of the pandemic? COVID's been a hard time for many but those, and the famous word pivot, of course, that's come out of COVID, those who changed their operation and looked at what else they could do have done exceptionally well. Most of my clients, from an early stage of COVID, we thought we don't know how long this is going to last, so we can't expect it to pass quickly. What do we need to do now to try and either take advantage of it or change your operation? So restaurants, for example, that would started doing takeaway could actually build a whole new business they'd never done before. And in some cases, we're actually making more profit because they had lower overheads and a bigger market to source. And there's a huge demand for that. The same in regional Victoria. Regional Victoria has never been busier since COVID, both with people moving to the country to live, but also to travel because they're not going overseas and not as much interstate. So regional areas in all states are really thriving. I think you also touched on something there when you're talking about how a lot of businesses pivoted, like the restaurants going to take away to kind of overcome the fact that their customers couldn't get through the door. But now I think there's this really interesting situation where this new opportunity opened up. Now things are going back to normal, inverted commas. Businesses are opening their their brick and mortar stores and things again but they've got this conundrum because they're often under resourced aren't they and they're like how do I actually manage to facilitate both these things and and do them well what would your advice be if they're to a business that's trying to juggle that you know they've got their online or their e-commerce working or their takeaway business was booming and now they've got it you know, they they don't have enough staff because yeah. of the skills shortage for their no. restaurant or whatever. Like there's a lot of challenges it seems at the moment. It is tough. But when we talk about staff shortages, there's a lot of people out there working. And when we've done any studies on that, over 60% of people working are not engaged. 
in the work they do, which means they're ripe for the picking. So if people are going to work and they're not engaged there, but they go because it's easy, they're comfortable there, um, and they're used to doing it, if you can provide a workplace to be an employer of first choice where people want to come and work with you, where you publicise what they would, the flexibility, uh, career advancement, training, great environment, a bit of fun in working and find out what turns people on. It's not just money. Money's never top of the list. So it's being that place of employment that people look for and also you're referred to by both your customers, your, especially your current team. They're your best people promoting you as for recruitment. Mm. So you work with a lot of businesses nowadays in your coaching. Um, what are some some uh, are there any challenges that are kind of everybody has them that they come to you and they're like, oh Milton, it's this, and you're like, boy, do I have an answer for you? <laughs> Everyone's got this problem. <laughs> um, yes and no. What what I do first is talk to the to the. Um, Potential new, because I don't take on everybody. I make sure that we pick each other, that we're going to be a good fit, that I can provide a service to them which is a good return on investment that can grow their business faster than they could by themselves. So if we can assess that, that we could work together and have some fun along the way, which is very important, then I'll take on that client. And then the first thing I do is look at what their major problems are that I can help them with, not a quick fix, but address straight away. Usually it's to do with financials because a lot of small business people don't really understand their financials. They may have an accountant, but they leave it up to them, but they don't understand it. So that way I make sure we then pick in the financials what they need to, to concentrate on. For example, in a restaurant, they if they concentrate on the staff wages and the cost of food, they're the two most important things to fine-tune in restaurants from a cost point of view. And then, of course, it's about customer service and maximising that and repeat business. And I was just going to ask you um, a bit about your time at Federation Square, how much that um, comes into play with the kind of advice that you're giving people. Yeah, when I went there, I was brought in to help rebrand Taxi Kitchen and They'd sort of lost their way. And when I got in there, there were five different businesses there from Taxi Kitchen, the Transport Hotel, the Transit Lounge. Um, there was a, a really badly run restaurant down on the river or part of the same group. But there was no attention to detail or customer service. The managers never had any meetings. They didn't have no team meetings at all. The teams didn't have budgets. They didn't have any training. And all to me, what were the basics were not there. So straight away, we started having meetings with the managers and then all their teams. We set goals every week. They then also provided to me after every session, the turnover for that session, which we had on, they got easily from the system, what the wages were and the food costs, because the kitchen were very switched on with that. We got them that way. So it became a bit of a game. And also they loved being able to report back what they'd achieved in their session. Whereas before, they had no measurement to look at, they had no goals to try and achieve or to try and better. And by having this information at their fingertips and being trained how to improve it, 
it, it became a lot of fun too. And they couldn't wait to check the reports next morning, whether on on duty or not, just to see how how they're done. It was fantastic. And when you talk about uh, goals, is it is it equally important to set you know really big picture goals as as it is to short sort of milestones? Absolutely. I I like to start with an exit plan. You know, what are we trying to build here? What's the end result? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to put on a general manager to run it? Do you want to pass it on to the family? or close it down, which can be the worst scenario. But it's all about what's the final plan, and let's work backwards. So do we want to sell possibly in five years, 10 years, 20 years? What do we need to get in place to maximise that for the future? So we work backwards and down to 90-day plans towards the long-term goals, and then with my clients, we meet fortnightly and set a focus for the next fortnight of say three or four issues they're going to try and achieve towards their 90-day plan and their eventual goals. And how would you say business confidence is at the moment? Um, I think because the economy is strong, it's good. The demand out there for many services, especially tourism, restaurants at the moment, trades, trades are phenomenal. They've never been busier. And the problem they've all got is getting enough staff But those staff are out there working elsewhere. So it's up to the individual owners to be more attractive to draw on the the workforce that's out there. Plus, we're now opening our borders again. Also look at overseas recruitment. And so do you feel that team culture plays a a big part then? Yeah, absolutely critical, Seth. I do a lot of work with leadership because team culture starts with strong leadership and then you develop teams around that strong leadership and we break that down in working together in so they understand it so much it's about communication about setting good key performance indicators because people do like to know how they're being measured and also they like their own goals and also what they should be trying to achieve and do you think it's important to include personal goals in that when you're looking at the business goals absolutely when i look at any business I look at trying to create a profitable enterprise that can work without them so that it can be built around good systems, good teams, good culture, good clients, of course, that doesn't need them there because the systems are followed and the product offering or service is consistent. And then the owner has the choice to either be there or not or start another business or franchise or sell the business. And do you think we attract the clients that we deserve? <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, it's, that's why I mentioned earlier, when I work with any of my clients, the first thing I want to know is how do we fit? You know, are they coachable? Can I help them in their business? Is it a return on investment? And are we going to have some fun? You mentioned fun a lot. Does, is, does, <laughs> is it really important to you to have fun in your day-to-day life? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, The first 20 years of my working life, I was an accountant. So (laughs) um, (laughs) I can see what it can be like. But we had fun there. We had a great time because we made it a fun workplace. We did lots of good culture building things, good team building. And, you know, we employed people with personality too. Uh, And it was about having fun because if you're not having fun, how can you enjoy what you're doing? And also, if you're not enjoying it, what about your poor customers? Yeah, so what if you're a business owner and that enjoyment has kind of 
left you behind. <laughs> Those enjoyment days have gone. Is it time to move on and maybe get rid of the business or think about something else? Either that or sit back and say, okay, where's it gone wrong? What do I need to achieve? Where do I need help? Maybe I need personal counselling too to try and bring that fun back in. Um, what else can I do? Is to, Do I need to change my team? Do I need to retrain, replace, or just set more decent performance indicators for the team so they can get some sense of achievement and have fun along the way? And what about burnout? Have you been seeing a bit of that at the moment? Because everyone seems to be juggling a lot of hats. Yeah, it's tough at the moment. But I think because we're coming out to a stronger economy, there's a real light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that can be really comforting too. And I think the smart businesses are saying, okay, what's changed because of COVID? For example, I think it's going to be quite normal for people to do some work from home and not necessarily travelling to Melbourne. Hence, the regional areas have just had enormous growth. And I think that possibly in the future, in fact, no more than possibly, people won't go to the office five days a week. They'll be able to work from home for certain days and only go in when they need to for some team building, communication, meetings, etc. but not full-time. Yeah, I think that's probably a given. I think it, even Google, who was notoriously famous for not wanting their team to have remote work options, they wanted everybody in the office, they've capitulated in the last couple of weeks to say that they're going to move to a hybrid model and people will be able to work from home. I just, I do think, if anything, the pandemic has shown that it can be possible, it can be done, and that people are trustworthy. You just have to, you know, let them do their job and they will do it. <laughs> Seth, that's right. But if you set KPIs for them so they know what they have to achieve and they're measured and they're given feedback, then there's no reason why they can't do that from home. If they can meet those parameters and those KPIs, it doesn't matter where they are. But it's also important to get together to, to create that team culture and the, the team environment too. That's very hard through Zoom. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you think you could build that culture when so much of the office is not in the office anymore? It is remote. Yeah, communication. I know with any of my clients that have a check-in at least twice a day on Zoom, even just to how things going, you know, how was your night, what issues are you fighting today, that once again, communication was the most important part. What about the old Zoom fatigue? Any tips for people <laughs> that are dealing with that? Uh, I actually love it because it's, uh, I get so much more done. My whole business now is built around Zoom. I mean, I was using Zoom before COVID, but then it was compulsory. So even the clients that always wanted to see me live, they got used to it too. So now my my work is a combination of live meetings and Zoom, and it, it works incredibly well. Are you still able to have the that connection with your clients? Yeah, I picked up clients throughout COVID. Some I had now two years that have been clients I'd never met. Now, when I did meet them at their premises, it was like meeting old friends. It was hugs and cuddles and great jokes. And the, and the warmth was amazing. 
because we got to know each other so well over Zoom that when we met, it was like meeting a long lost friend. It was fantastic. If I could just ask you maybe one final piece of advice for our small business audience, if they're feeling challenged by their business at the moment, what's the first thing you would suggest that they do? Culture. Look at the business. Look at what the feeling in the business is. How are their team getting on? Or where are they looking for future development? You know, what else can they do to improve both their working life and their private life that works in well together? So it's about, once again, it's about a life balance too, that it's important you'll perform much better at work if you've got a good life outside of that. That can really, really give you some release but also some pleasure. The old work-life balance <laughs> chestnut. <laughs> Absol- absolutely. But it's achievable. It's setting goals and making sure you achieve them. And, yes, it's give and take, but it's making time for both. Yeah. I, I have um, spoken to some people before and they suggest actually scheduling time into your calendar where it's for you and it's yeah, it's right. unbreakable, like, that's the time that you that you know whether it's you going to the gym or you go for a walk or you're catching up with someone whatever it's just something that's always in your calendar so that you do get that refresh yeah no i I agree i think that that's so important to to have that and i i love a default diary where you set a diary where certain times of the day and week you put time aside for certain business issues where you're not contactable, but in there also is personal time, like going to the gym or Pilates or exercise and drinks. And so you build it in there or date night, for example. Like, oh, that's really important. And uh, focus time to focus on the business issues. Yeah, absolutely. That's why, once again, the default diary. So you put time every week where the time you look at growth, look at marketing, look at team development, look at what else you could be doing to work on the business rather than in it. Yeah. Do you have a number one growth hack? Number one growth hack are referrals. You know, have a good system that gets referrals from both your business connections, your clients, but also your suppliers. So it's looking at being confident to ask for referrals and that's where your best business comes from. And the cheapest way to find them. It's very good advice. Thank you, Milton. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Do you want to give a quick plug for your book? Okay. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the book, Delight, Disrupt, Deliver, um, it's just been launched. Um, it, it already made Amazon bestseller, which is exciting for a good start. So um, it, it's a book you know, I'm really proud of and um, I'm getting great feedback on it, but it's full of practical advice. It's not just theory. It's all about practical ideas to grow and develop your business thank you so much thank you for joining me thanks Ed. it's a pleasure